You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. My name is Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here as well. If you want to join us, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And yeah, we'll be getting to some of your feedback tomorrow on the podcast. So make sure you tune in for a Feedback Friday. But we just finished wrapping up today's television show for CRTV. Gentlemen, do you want to give the audience a little preview of what is to come? Top. Yeah, Chuck Todd, um, not big on consistent levels of common sense, uh, but the most common sense of all is that uh, the Democratic leadership in the House is really old and busted. Yep, every now and then he hits the target, and when they do, if we're going to rip him for all the times that they yeah. either miss or ignore the target, for la- or, or reshape what the target is, Let's be honest about that, too. If we're going to rip them for all those times that it happens, and let's praise them when they get it right, because you're going to see a clip today on Fake News or Not, in which he absolutely nails it. Aaron. Uh, Roman Millennial was the guest uh, today, and she's new on CRTV, <clears throat> extremely well-spoken and very mm-hmm. smart. And if you'd never heard of her, uh, we basically did 10 to uh, 12 minutes uh, just kind of getting to know her. And what uh, what her uh, what kind of motivates her and her show? So uh, you want to check that interview out because kind of an introduction to what she does. Yeah, I know a lot of people that equate USC with its long-standing elite football success, right? And so a lot of people don't realize that USC is a private. She, why is this important? One of the things she disclosed to us in the interview is she's a USC alum. USC is an exclusive private academic school. I mean, it's one of the best private academic schools in the United States of America. So people don't realize that because a lot of America equates it as a a football factory because it's been one going back to the era of, you know, John Robinson and and John McKay in the mid-60s to, you know, late 70s. But to what we've, you know, the power we saw Pete Carroll build it back into and what we see now. But uh, it is, and the University of Miami is too, by the way. A lot of people don't realize that. The University of Miami, the Hurricanes, the U, you know, remember all the smack talk? I mean, they they basically invented college football trash talking, right? A lot of people don't realize this, though. The University of Miami itself is like Duke. It is a small private university of like six to 8,000 undergrad students that it's very hard to get into. So sometimes we forget with these football factories, like a Miami, particularly if they have that brash, you know, people know the academic reputations of a Stanford, a Notre Dame, or a Michigan, <clears throat> but they're not necessarily known as having brash personas to the level that you saw with Pete Carroll and Snoop Dogg and Will Ferrell on the sidelines for USC and, and the U and Miami and all their antics all those years. But those are elite academic schools that if you could not play football 
you you the chances are you are not going to get into that university in the general population. So uh, we get to hear. So right away, you know, she's smart if she's getting into that school. Uh, and secondly, you get a chance to hear what life was like for her as a conservative on that campus. You don't want to miss that coming up today. CRTV.com promo code DACE. You can watch not just our show, but Roaming Millennials' new show here at CRTV, the great one, Mark Levin, the entire team, access to our archives as well. So if you're a new subscriber and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm living in Snowmageddon in the upper Midwest this weekend. What am I going to do all weekend? Subscribe and go through all the various archives of all the shows we've done here at CRTV. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. And we do have monthly subscription options as well. All right, today's podcast is a Theology Thursday. For this week's conversation, I want to lay out a chain of events that happened to me yesterday. All right? So, because of what I do for a living, not because I'm smarter than the average person, it's because of what I do for a living, my my job demands that I'm going to be more informed than 99% of Americans. That's just the nature of my job. It demands that for me to be good at it. Throw in the fact, though, God did not bless me with a lot of gifts, but one of them is an incredible amount of memory recall. So I'm able to to acquire knowledge at a faster rate uh, just because of that recall. I I can, you know, consume a lot of media, throwing in an information, throw in the fact that my job demands that I do it at an a level more than the average American would probably care to anyway, right? So you put those two things in, and I'm going to be at an elite level of informed compared to the average American. However, I I still have to have a life. I'm married. I have kids, okay? And if you do this, there's one thing about doing it full-time. There's another thing about doing it all the time. It can drive you nuts if you do it all the time. It'll just drive you crazy. So, you know, I, every, every day I take a few hours away from this. You know, I have, a, I have dinner with my family. I talk to my kids. You know, we watch a movie. We do something. Or I even, you know, put the kids and mom to bed and, you know, I play, you know, Rory McIlroy golf while listening to podcast covering signing day till like 1 a.m. last night. Right? But those other, you know, 10, 12, 15 hours of the day, I'm tuned in. I'm, I'm plugged in to the zeitgeist. So last night, after dinner, everybody's finishing up. I'm checking all the headlines of everything just to see, is there anything majorly breaking I don't know about because we've already put in what the script for today's show will be. And what I mean by script is not what we're going to say, but what we're going to cover and who's going to be on. And of course, if there's major breaking news, you know, I need to know because then I got to get a hold of Aaron and piss him off by telling him, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to have you do all kinds of extra work because we have to change our show because blank happened. So that's part of my routine every night. And after dinner last night, I check in and I see that there is a story making the rounds that a high-ranking senior cabinet official within the Trump administration could be a wife beater. And not one, but two of his ex-wives have come forward and apparently a former girlfriend did as well. However, he adamantly denies all these allegations. He's got U.S. senators like Orrin Hatch coming f- to his defense in public. On And Hatch has been asked, on, uh, as a follow-up, are you taking back your support of Mr. Porter? No, I think you should hold firm. 
John Kelly, who we identify as both a war hero and a progressive on our show. That's a fair characterization, don't you think? Yeah. We don't deny that he is a patriot that loves this country, but he's more of a progressive general type. His character is being dragged through the mud. Did he apparently know about Mr. Porter? Did he not? And right away, my, my dander is getting up because this is a story that hits really close to home for me because I grew up in a home with domestic abuse. I saw it. I witnessed it. Okay, I, I, I saw my stepdad at the time beat my mom. I, I, he beat me, beat my brother. I mean, I would get coached on how to lie to my teachers about what those marks on my body meant. And when I got older and I was bigger and stronger, I can tell you in my mind's eye, I can remember perfectly an episode when I was 16 years old where I had to come out of the bedroom and literally pick him up from being on top of her. And not in the, the good way a husband would be on top of his wife, guys. Okay? No. The, 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 the bad one. So my emotion kicks into this story because I have a history with this. And my default setting whenever this allegation comes up is string them up, I'm first in line. Okay? Because I have less than zero tolerance with men who do this. Um, but I can't let that emotion govern me. Because I don't, I've never even heard this. I never heard his name until yesterday. I didn't know he existed. He's essentially a schedule keeper, basically a glorified schedule keeper. So I'm sure there's more to his job than that, but that's essentially his official capacity. Didn't have security clearance. So a guy who keeps the schedule doesn't have security clearance. There would really not be a reason for us to know who he is. And I'm watching people that are going on the record defending this guy's character. So I, I, can't, I can't let my emotion get the better of me to convict him any more than I can let my emotion get the better of me to instantly declare Roy Moore innocent a few months ago either. I have to step back now. So just as in the case of Roy Moore, my relationship with him may give me a perspective that others lack about who he is as a man. It also could blind me to who he once was at the same time. Similarly, my emotional baggage and acknowledgement and understanding of what it's like to live with a man who is alleged to be who this Mr. Porter is alleged to be, both gives me a sense of urgency and understanding of how much havoc such a man, such a vile man can rot in a family, can wreak in a family. But that also can be my downfall. In that I can assume, therefore, everybody who's, who's, uh, 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 who is accused of this is guilty because my own past where this is concerned has me more sensitive to it in the wrong way. So we have to constantly be checking ourselves and our motivations. So I start digging a little bit further into the, into the story. And there's allegations and counter-allegations. And, and again, I have a God-given elite level of memory recall. You guys see it on display in my job every day. It's one of the things that makes me good enough to get paid to do this. I think the only person I've met in our industry whose recall ability is superior to my own is Shapiro's, which is why he's the only one, whenever we have him on, I actually have an idea of what I'm going to ask him before he comes on. (laughs) Because I know, I know if I don't bring it, He's, a, he's at least operating at the same pace I am. More likely, at a faster one, I'll get embarrassed. 
So I, when, when we have Shapiro on, I will do my homework more than I do with everybody else, meaning I'll actually have a plan of how, how what I want to bring up. Because so, I need to acknowledge I have to be able to keep up with him. Anybody else we've ever brought on this show, I know I can just wing it. I can't keep up with this story despite that, that God-given talent. I, I can't follow it. And as I'm weeding through all the various tweets and Facebook posts and headlines on this story, there's 9,000 stories that Trump is Castro because he wants to have a military parade or he's a great American because he does. And then there's the Pelosi speech over here, which we talked about on the CRTV show today. People still trying to, you know, analyze the Grassley memo. What's going to happen with the Schiff memo? There's this budget deal. And 50 some odd people are offended and in favor of it at the same time. Some of the things I just mentioned to you are real news. Some of the things I just mentioned to you are not. But they're all covered as news. And so I'm trying to figure out what is the truth of this Porter story, and I can't find it. And then what ends up happening is the story evolves. The story evolves from what is the truth to how's it being covered. And a guy who works for CNN, who's their, one of their media reporters, writes a story today that it's been 15 hours and counting and Fox News has never mentioned the Porter story. And yet, I'm sure, you know, Fox was doing something just yesterday about the way CNN was covering something else. And so the story becomes not the story, but how it is being utilized and bastardized for political purposes, for your own partisan lens. And therefore, we're not doing news. We're doing narrative crafting. We're not, we're not seeking information. We're selling confirmation. Those are two totally different things. And the truth becomes unattainable. I, I, I'm the target audience for this story. I'm not a Trump shill. I've refused every opportunity to enrich myself by becoming one. To the point now, if I made the decision tomorrow that the only way to keep my career going was to do it, I've burned so many bridges that I couldn't do it now. I couldn't sell out now if I wanted to. I'm too tainted from that perspective. I have a history with this, with this sin. I'm a victim of it. My mom, who chose not to abort me but to have me, you guys have heard and seen her testimony on our show in the past. That's the mom I saw getting beaten when I was a kid. So I'm not a Trump shill. I'm not looking to turn everything into clickbaity, you know, um, you know, hits by his most ardent supporters. I have a history of this story that makes me sensitive to it. I'm the target demo for this, you would think. Except I'm not. Because the target isn't the truth. The target is the narrative. The target is, how do, we, how do we craft a story to create a narrative that we have to take down the Trump presidency? Or, how do we craft a story that we have to defend no matter what the Trump presidency? That's the target. And what this results in is a truthless culture. What was, the, what was AP's word of the year last year, post-truth? That's where we're at. 
my industry, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the media. Where do we all work, guys? Where do we work? Mm, the the media. media. Yeah. Really disingenuous for people in our shoes to say, well, the media, that's where we work. Now, there are there certain factions, tribes, ideological differences? You bet. But we're a part of this industry. And the fact that I have fed my family doing this on a national basis for over seven years now means I may not be great at it, but I have some level of capability that people keep paying me to do it. And they're paying me enough that I'm helping you guys feed your families with what I get paid. So I may not be great, but I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, somebody likes me, all right? I'm in this industry too. I'm somewhat capable doing it. We've given up on the truth, by and large. Not everybody. There's always 7,000 men in Israel who have take, haven't taken the knee to bail yet, all right? But systemically, fundamentally, foundationally as an industry. In fact, that's really what we are. We are an industry. We are not an institution. We're not a fourth estate. We're not an institution that our founders gave us as protection against tyranny by creating an informed public through a skeptical and jaundiced media that is free to be skeptical and jaundiced. We're not any of those things, by and large. We are an industry, and we're selling you the narrative we want to sell you. And it's why when I write something critical of Trump, I will get invited to be on MSNBC and CNN. And when I don't, I won't. And it's why I haven't been invited to be on Fox in five or six years. The same reason why. It is rare I will be invited to be on a show to actually give an opinion that runs counter to their narrative which is why when it happens, I take advantage of it. I had to rearrange my entire schedule last fall on a Friday to be on Meet the Press Daily with Chuck Todd. You guys remember that? Yeah. And why did I do it? Because he was actually willing not to even put me on a panel to talk for two minutes in an eight-minute segment. He was willing to email or to interview me about something I had written that runs counter to his own narrative that he found intellectually curious enough to give me the time to articulate. How many of those do I get, though, guys, compared to will you appear on our panel to, 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 to fit our narrative? You guys know it's 100 to 1. Right. And that's being kind. I've had producers at these cable channels literally call me up, pre-screen what my, what my opinion is, and then tell me, well, we're not really looking for an opinion. We're looking for a side. Now, you may be asking, Steve, what does this have to do with Theology Thursday? Everything. Why is it wrong to lie? I know a lot of you listening right now, if you're any kind of religious believer of any orthodox religion, will say because God said so, or the Bible said so, or the Ten Commandments say so. Those are all the wrong answer. That's actually a form of legalism. It's wrong to lie because God is the truth. He's the source of all truth. That's why it's wrong to lie. And we're commanded to have, if we're, if we're his people, we're commanded as best we can with the grace, mercy, and spirit he gives us to align our character with his. How in the world can we be a people of truth, therefore, in a culture where the truth is unattainable? It's not marketable. While at the same time, everybody's telling you, they're telling you the truth. And we know that it's not. When a, a good friend of mine, 
grew up in a she grew up in a great Christian home. Parents were ardent believers. They were educators too at Christian Christian schools. Then they retired. They went through a church split where they lived back out east. And um, they struggled to find a church to replace the one they had belonged to for a long time. And so a lot of Sundays they were just they would just do a private Bible study with you know each other or another family or two and then just hang out at home. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with having that be your Sunday fellowship. But they were outside of a church community, meaning the rest of the week they were totally detached from the body of Christ. And her retired dad began substituting church time with cable news time. And once a year, they would come back and visit for a month in the summer to stay with her and her husband, their grandkids, things of that nature. And, you know, just to have a fun vacation as a family. And the year that this happened, happened to be during the 2012 election. And I, that whole month, the story she told me about how the entire temperament of her dad changed, not his values, mind you, but his temperament, which dictates the approach you take to your values, the prioritization you put on your values, which value you should prioritize and which ones you, you don't. And, you know, she was paying attention to the election and everything else, but she was also very involved in her church with her kids. She just didn't have time to sit around watching Fox every night. He did. And now suddenly this man that she was the ultimate daddy's girl, she patterned herself after him. They have the same worldview, similar personalities. She's a chip off the old block. Every bit as much as people say Anna is my oldest, Anna is of me. It's like they're now suddenly two different people. Why? Because what they're each plugged into has changed. He's plugged into this zeitgeist over here. There's nothing inherently wrong with cable news. There's lots of good people that work on all these channels. I, I, I go on when my schedule allows and if I think the topic is worthwhile to reach as many people as I can. But it's not a natural habitat. It's not a place for us to live, guys. He was living there. And the perspective that he had compared to hers was both claiming the same worldview with totally different priorities and perspectives. I mean, he literally thought the world was going to end if Mitt Romney didn't win the election. She was struggling whether to vote for him or not. She just found him personally dishonest. A flip-flopper. Probably, though, in the end, he's not a communist like Obama. I'll vote for him, but, you know... Better than Obama is one thing. I don't think America ends if he loses. You know what I'm saying? Just a different perspective. Because she had other interests. She was plugged into something that gave her a broader outlook on life than just this myopic view right here. Now, I would suggest if an old saint like this friend of mine's dad who spent his adult life in Christian education at an administrative and teacher level 
if after years of serving the church, in just a span of a few months of consistently plugging in to this media culture, he can have his viewpoint and his perspective warped. I'm not sure many of us are immune to this. And now we're sitting here where I have a much stronger opinion and take on Trump's proposed military parade than I do whether there's a wife beater in the White House. Why? Because the information that's accessible to me that I can objectively sift through is more voluminous and available on that story than it is whether there's a wife beater in the White House. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Or at least that's not how any of this should work. But everybody is so concerned with their narrative crafting that they're not doing news casting. They are not seeking to inform you. They are seeking to sell you your confirmation bias. Well, if, you're, if you belong to the people of God and God says, I'm the truth. His son says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We are going to have to resist this with all of our might. All of our might. We're going to have to figure out, on some level, I, I need to plug in, right? I need to be a good steward of that which God has given me, and he has given me freedom, liberty, and self-government. And so I need to plug into these new sources on some level in order to fulfill the level of the stewardship that he has providentially given me. But then I got to realize when I need to unplug, man, when I got to walk away, when my, when, I, when, my, when my tap out is, when I'm losing myself in this. Because then it won't become about the truth. It'll be about my truth. And we don't have any truth. There's no truth within us. That's when we exchange the truth for a lie. And we'll just give ourselves over to our own reprobate minds at that point. I think this is one of the biggest problems facing us as a culture. And the end result is is virtually the same. We either end up here turning on each other where everything becomes politicized. There's no place now where we can just love our neighbors, we love ourselves. There's no place anymore where we are just sharing a common human or even American experience. Because literally everything is up for grabs now. Everything's a contest. Everything's a slugfest. Everything's a urination match. Or we just give up on civic affairs altogether and just drop out and say, I'm out. I, I, I just, I can't could do something else with my life the result of either of those options is the same that's a cultural implosion there okay we either turn on each other or quit on each other the end result of how history will record that chain of events it will be the same story regardless of with the links in the chain how they differ the end of the of the rainbow is not a pot of gold it's throw another Throw another uh, shrimp on the barbie. Throw some more ash on the heap. Add another footnote in your encyclopedias or your Wikipedias about the once great United States of America. And we are going to have to figure out, and I'm not sure 
what the path is. I'm trying to figure this out on the fly like every one of you listening right now who cares about what I'm saying. But somewhere along the line, we have to have a conversation with each other as religious believers about what's true, what's not. When is it okay to engage the truth to defend our rights? And when it's not, what's shrewd and what's a sellout? Otherwise, we're going to get sucked into this. And I'm just telling you, if we get sucked into this, and it might even be too late now, I don't know. But if we're the last line of defense here in the culture on this, if we fully succumb to this, last one in, last one out, turn out the lights then, man. That's it. We're the, we're the last. We're the preservative here. We're the salt. If the salt has lost its flavor, there will be no more light. And we're not going to be able to have a theological conversation with people about anything if we cross that line collectively as a church. We can, we can sin and make mistakes. And if we own up to them, God's grace and mercy will cover that and people will be forgiving. But if we, if we finally say, we don't care about what the truth is. Now, let me d- draw a distinction here. That's different than saying the truth is hard. It is. It is easy to know the truth. It is not simple to do the truth. It is hard to live the way God wants us to live. I'm not really good at it most of the time myself. That's different, though, than giving up on the truth. If we allow ourselves to get sucked into this media vortex of narrative casting, collectively as a church body, we then are giving up on the truth. And at that point, this culture's toast. Because we, they're unreachable because we're the last people remaining to reach them. So what does this media conversation and, and all these things have to do with the Theology Thursday? Everything. Everything. Because if we give up on truth, there's no point in having a theology conversation. It, we're just, it's your opinion versus mine. So I don't know, Todd and Aaron, I'm not sure what the solution is to this. But I think the first step is having more conversations about this. Because we, we can't put our heads in the sand. We have to be aware. We also don't have to just throw ourselves as lambs to slaughter. We, we're commanded to be wise. We're, we're allowed to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So there's, there's a place to be shrewd. There's a place to be strategic. I, I love the story of Ruth and Boaz. Where Boaz tells the truth to her kinsman redeemer. Everything he says is true. But he does it in a shrewd way in order to outwit somebody that he recognizes doesn't have the woman he loves best interest at heart. And how does God reward his shrewdity? The son that they conceived together is in the genealogy of God's son. So I'm not saying we become, you know, morons and idiots either. But there's, at some point, we've got to know, we've got to start drawing some lines and distinctions here. Otherwise, 
the minute we fully succumb to tribalism, this culture is toast. Because we are the last line holding all of that back, Todd. Well, we've got um, less than a week away to Ash Wednesday. A good uh, time to make first things first things again. And depending on uh, your particular denominational uh, perspective, uh, recalling the importance of the third or the fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath holy, that that is supposed to, you don't just check that box on the Sabbath and then run into the fray that Steve is talking about. No, you're supposed to take that with you and it's supposed to be operative the rest of the day. It is supposed to be your circuit breaker that, okay, too much. Got to quiet down. Go back to God. And and we don't do that. There, uh, it is remarkable how I, I will have just got out of mass and walked into our social hall and instantly it's just, oh, that's done. Now we're just uh, want to talk about uh, politics again. And in a way that's not, Still not on the Trump t- train, yeah, Todd? Not, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, I've just gotten... Yeah. And and then, of course... By the guy with the ash on his forehead, right? Yeah, who just committed yeah. to 40 days of uh, fasting in honor of uh, the Lord's uh, suffering on his behalf, right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's yeah. fun sometimes. So, and and it's not it's not just us. It Listen, Billy Graham, there's a, f- a fantastic book, uh, The Preacher and the Presidents, but listen, a man like Billy Graham, who took... The world by force, literally the world by force in his combination of passion and humility after year after year, cycle after cycle of being preacher to the presidents. Listen, he got sucked into that vortex before Twitter, but the Nixon administration ultimately ate him up. He, he, he could not see. Uh, and, and he basically could walk into that place anytime he wanted to. Do. He could not see Nixon's feet of clay. He was one of Nixon's greatest apologists. And now look at his son, uh, who Steve has talked about uh, many times about the good work uh, meals for uh, for the Samaritan's poor. purse. Samaritan's, Samaritan's purse. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, what he's done, but also sometimes what he will do, go out of his way to defend the indefensible Donald Trump. It's just like it's needless. Uh, to go, it, 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 it's it, it's a like a desire to want to to jump on a grenade instead of if he just stepped back uh, and and not sullied himself with it. It might not be the time to go in and start waving a finger either. But it just goes to show how we our calling, our sense of calling, our sense of vocation, is now to a thing that is fundamentally broken right now and even if it's not broken it's not god even when it's operating uh, in a healthy fashion politics can still be an idol we need to get back uh right now is a perfect time of year with easter on the horizon to do the things that allow us to say when the whirlwind is going all around us that it's okay to pull back you you do not have to ride this thing. You, it it and it may mean pain, uh, but it's your duty to have the shoulders to bear it. It can't be stressed enough. And boy, it, it's amazing how Christians need to be reminded of this over and over again. It, it perhaps is our 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 greatest duty these days. This is not the Oprah show. Your faith 
comes with the crucified Savior. That has to be not just a symbol in your life, but a sacrament in your life. It means it, it has to be lived out in full. There will be pain in your life. You are, even even when Christian, Christendom has been ascendant, even when it has been dominant, it's done its best work when it's recognized it's, that it's its job to live out that pain each day, to not take it for granted. Because the poor will always be with us. It doesn't go away. We are never done. But uh, we, 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 a lot of us think um, really that we are not going anywhere in terms of Christendom. How, how could that happen? And so uh, even the ones who talk about how bad progressives are, I don't really think, based on the way they're engaging the fight, that they think that... Uh, the, the faith of the church that they take for granted, that they go to they go to church and punch a cock on every Sunday, if that's really in danger, it truly is. And if you understood that, you'd be fighting this thing in an entirely different way. And some of that might be collectively stepping back and leaving it alone for a second. There would be no more powerful statement if people on the right and the left who are, are genuinely Christian opted out for one political cycle, just one. You want to see a miracle? I'd give you one if that had happened. But that's uh, entirely in God's hands now, I think, because we don't have anything close to the wherewithal to pull that off. Aaron, you get the last word. Yeah, I bring it's this well up. well said, Todd. Yeah, very well said. Um, I, I'm bringing this up not to uh, bring myself up as uh, the example or anything. I bring it up because it's fresh on my mind and because I, I'm not the best example. And I had one of those moments actually last night i was here late uh at the studio working on uh today's prepping for today's and friday's show and um in the in the midst of preparing for friday's show i came up this with this really snarky uh take hot take on on the nunez and the memo fiasco and i posted it on twitter and i was laughing to myself because that's how vain i am because it's super snarky and then i took a step back and i'm like that is the most nihilistic thing, and Todd knows what I'm talking about, I think. That is the most nihilistic thing I think I've posted this month. And I was like, really? We're not supposed to be nihilists here, especially as Christians. We're supposed to have some hope. I'm done. And I just left at that point. Mm -hmm. I just left, and I went home. And on the way home, I, uh, in, in, as I was going out the door... I thought this is I'm I'm not in a good I'm not in a good place here because I've been up to my eyeballs with this stuff all day and working all day. So I at that moment I listed I'm not saying this is true for everybody, but I went through in my mind all of the things in my life that I'm genuinely thankful for. I think if we get back to having a reflex of Thanksgiving to our Lord for the things that he has done in our life, for the grace that he's shown us every day in our life, for the blessings that he's given us every day in our life, politics, culture will fade into the distance. It'll still be important, but it's not the important thing. I think Thanksgiving, and I'm not saying this because I did it, 
but I'm saying it because I, at least for me, that it, it helped in that moment. Thanksgiving, I think, uh, for Christians is crucial in this culture. Maybe doesn't help us find the truth, but helps us put in, into perspective that which we see every day. That is well said, too, because it brings us back to what I just said at the very beginning. You didn't change your values. You just broadened your perspective. Mm-hmm. And that put things in a, in, a, in a better priority for you at that moment. I think that's excellent counsel, Aaron. Well done. Well, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Remember, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Also remember today's television show on CRTV.com. Promo code DACE. Feedback Friday is tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.